0: It. Hey, Dinkar. Been a while, I think. Uh, it's uh, but uh, mostly because of me, I guess. I was away on vacation, so.
1: Yeah, I think uh, this time we should not talk about uh, how many views then it is sticky because right after that we uh, <laughs> like jinxed it. So yeah, yeah <laughs> let's continue. <laughs>
0: So I wanted to talk about, uh, so continuing to, uh, from the previous subject of metrics, life metrics, I want to move to product metrics, right? Uh, And uh, one of the discussions we have a lot, uh, you and me uh, end up having a lot of different kind of metrics, right? Uh, The output metrics, uh, discouraging people from focusing on that, moving towards Uh, outcome metrics and why outcome metrics should be derived or meta Um, and uh, definitely uh, there's that whole thought process about measuring throughput also and uh, I I think somewhere uh, you know metrics like uh, vanity metrics are I I feel they are very important uh, in my opinion I think Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that. But let, let's kick start by uh, first, um, Sachin. I know you've you written a lot about it, you've thought a lot about it. Um, output works, um, uh, output metrics. Um, why Why say no to output metrics?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, we are limiting this scope to only software, right? Yes, yes, yes.
0: No, no. life,
1: uh, no yeah. bigger meaning, deeper <clears throat> meaning. <laughs> right. And uh, here as well, the philosophy pretty much applies what we discussed last time, is output is just certain activity uh, over time. And yeah. we want to just figure out that how much activity happened and that's my throughput and that is that is how efficient I am. So, um, the biggest problem with software is, uh, and Martin Fowler has put this thing really beautifully on the blog almost 20 years ago, I would, uh, if I'm not wrong, is Uh, The reason why you cannot measure software productivity is because you cannot measure software in number of, like the amount of units. there is no volume to measure software. Mm -hmm. So uh, I cannot quantify my mobile app is 200 software units versus uh, Facebook.
0: So line of code, line of code is is that... I know there is a flaw in there, there, there uh, In but what about line of code? Can that, is that a, a really useful or it's? Is there is no scenario where KLOC can be a genuine metric?
1: Right, and I think uh, uh, we can talk about that little bit in terms of. Um, so let's talk about why line of code and certain other quality of uh, certain other metrics which are similar to that are bad i have heard many times people saying these are bad metrics and i have said m- numerous occasions that this is a bad metric but why it is bad metric uh, whenever we talk about a metric it has to be consistent with its behavior that means i if i am doing certain activity and you are doing certain activity it should uh, indicate the same thing if we say this is the same unit if i am driving car Um, at a certain uh, speed and you are driving at a certain speed, the speed-related characteristics or velocity-related characteristics of that car should match. Uh, uh, It could be amount of time required for us to reach from point A to point B or something like that. With software, the biggest challenge is uh, the line of code is almost as inconsistent as any other thing can get. Hmm. I can implement the same uh, method in uh, like 10 lines more or 10 lines less. If I use a function, then I I can just move all my code from this method into somewhere else. And I am guilty of this. Uh, If you are using any static uh, tool for code analysis, they will typically grade your code based on how many number of lines are written in a method or in a class. This is a very old trick. Hmm. They have somewhere understood that if your method is more than twenty-five lines, uh, it is difficult to read because it doesn't fit hmm. onto your screen. Because and earlier the screen, yeah. the screen used to have twenty-five horizontal lines yeah. and eighty characters wide. That yeah. used to be the terminal size. Yeah. So if it is not fitting on one terminal, then it is not good. Then somebody said that okay, I it's related to our viewport and what I mean you can allow, uh, you can uh, try to apply any arbitrary logic to this, but ultimately it boils down to 25 lines Uh, over 25 lines. It's a bad method. So many times uh, when I was starting out and I wanted to just suppress that warning, what I used to do is I used to create another method in some other class and just like take few lines from here, which have some coherent job and then shove it under that new uh, method and call the method. Suddenly, I have uh, collapsed eight lines into one line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Neither this improved the quality of code, readability of code, to a certain extent, it increased readability, but it did not alter any user-facing characteristic of mm-hmm. the code. Mm-hmm. It has absolutely no impact to the user, but it ended up suppressing that warning. So it is very easy to fool. It is not consistent. It does not indicate a, a, a neither qualitative, neither quantitative, attributes of how good my system is right so these are metrics which have value because they are easy to measure right and they apply that they they follow that rule that it is comprehensible Mm. so speed velocity these are ubiquitous you don't need to uh, explain somebody what is speed similarly Mm. thousand lines of codes is um uh, it sounds good,
0: right? Uh, I wrote thousand lines of code versus I wrote hundred lines of code. So.
1: And you don't need to explain it. Yeah. Anybody who can say that, okay, 10,000 lines is the size of this code base. It is certain code base. Yeah. Uh, but does it mean anything? I mean, how many books you can see? Uh, uh, there are like some 50 pages books and there are 5,000 pages books. Yeah. But um, would you argue that the books which are Uh, thicker books are actually more meaningful books or impactful books. Sometimes you can also find that a 100-page book might be doing a wonderful job of explaining some concept to you which a 500-page book is um, failing at. So, similarly, it does not mean anything qualitative or quantitative uh, in terms of user-facing attributes that you wrote more or less code. And that's why these metrics which are easy to measure but they don't, uh, indicate actual outcome, outcomes. Um, I think people should refrain from them. That's why these would be called as bad metrics.
0: Yeah. And then that leads us to, uh, the preferred, uh, method, uh, looking at outcome metrics. So, um, and, and throughput I would say for now is that, uh, uh, probably the only difference I see between output and throughput is output is just, um, the total output and throughput is putting in the lens of um, the team size or the time that in this period or this team can generate so much of output. And throughput also could be uh, associated with outcome. Uh, This team can deliver this much of outcome. So probably throughput is a specialization of uh, any of the either. So going from output to outcome. Now, what are outcome metrics? Uh, why do they matter? And um, the four key metrics that has taken the whole industry by storm. Uh, why, why is everyone um, falling in love with four key metrics?
1: Yes, the four key metrics are uh, again, DevOps metrics. I would not call them uh, thoroughly outcome metrics. The DevOps metrics are focused on measuring Uh, what is the dev pipeline looking like? What is the health of it? It it has a pretty good um, quality in terms of explaining you how fast you are deploying code to production and what is the quality of the code which is going to production. So, and the best part about these devops metrics, it also measures something which is not visible on the surface, which is the quality of your devops practices. So you are able to deploy code uh, often to production. That means there is a great deal of automation between your uh, developer workflows to commit code, to take it to production. That just indicates that you have automated testing, you have automated functional tests, you have automated, uh, automated end-to-end user tests and everything. So that's why everybody would love these metrics. Plus it is difficult to gain. The four key metrics are lead time, deployment frequency, mean time to restore and change build percentage. And what do they indicate is to just get better lead time, it is not enough to just deploy code as fast as possible to production, because if you do not have right amount of automation and quality checks embedded within your pipelines, you are going to have somewhere down the line, some level of degradation. It could be in terms of uh, the bugs which are causing 400, 500 errors, and that would be like lowering your change fail percentage. Um, Hmm. And that will mean many times you are deploying code, which is not good quality. It is destabilizing your system rather than delivering value to the end users. Hmm. Uh, The same thing goes to mean time to restore. It actually indicates if something goes wrong, can you go back and revert to older state or fix that issue as soon as possible and, this indicates the resiliency or even the automated approach of your uh, discovery of issue and also address of the issue. So uh, that's why everybody is loving it. But confusing them with pure outcome metric would be uh, a little asking a little bit too much from these metrics. Hmm. The outcome metrics are mostly dependent upon your system. Hmm. And these outcomes we are referring again and again are business outcomes. So... Uh, If I am a ticket booking uh, platform, Mm. then by just keeping the platform up and running without any errors is um, not going to get me business. Mm. The real business comes from people actually going and booking tickets. Mm. And I have seen um, there are a lot of uh, uh, things which can influence a person to book a ticket. Mm. I can give an example. So. On Clear Trip, uh, which is a very popular booking site in India, I have seen that if you are going through your uh, flight booking flow and you are just lingering on, let's say, the checkout page, mm. it could be for a variety of things. Many times I used to um, open up my Clear Trip website and then I used to go to the competition website and see what is the price available on the uh, uh, like other websites. So when I started seeing that, I used to get a call from ClearTrip saying that, uh, hey, is there any issue in your booking? I can give you 250 rupees discount. Or uh, just a pop-up? This is like almost eight, nine years ago. I don't know whether they do it still, but I used to receive a call and they used to say, if you book right now, I can give you 250 rupees discount. Here is a code for you. And more often than that, not uh, what I have seen is that the prices are extremely comparable or same. Uh, Many flights don't have different different prices on different sites. But what I have realized is that level of uh, uh, telemetry which they have embedded within the systems to ensure that people are booking the ticket rather than not browsing. I mean, your search could be very lightning fast your presentation and user experience might be brilliant yeah. but if people are actually not hitting the checkout yeah. button then they don't get that 400 rupees convenience fee per seat which yeah. they deserve yeah. so and that's the whole uh, trick the other competition let's say they might be really terrible ui and not so good presentation clunky but if if clear trip is used to identify i want to book flight 202 at 13.55 p.m. from Pune to Hyderabad, then it doesn't matter how Hmm. the UI is.
0: Hmm.
1: I have made my decision. I can enter that flight number. I can just go ahead and book it because it is 200 rupees cheaper, let's say. Hmm. So the outcome is what is the conversion rate for this booking platform. And for every business, it could be different. So the goal of our software should be is ensure that the business outcome is um, achieved. And if you want to achieve it, you should be able to measure it.
0: Right.
1: And that's why we stress upon so much that businesses should think about um, measuring these business outcomes on a regular basis, and they should tag it even to systems which are not front-facing or customer-facing. There are ways in which you can do that, I think we should focus on that too.
0: One of the questions uh, that uh, I get asked often, um, and uh, you've been part of some of those conversations, is, "Hey, uh, we- we're building an internal platform, or uh, uh, what we're doing really doesn't affect the customer, right?" So uh, the term business um, many times falsely ge- falsely gets con- uh, you know translated into uh, revenue. I Absolutely. feel that uh, we we need to be uh, you know for uh, whatever you're building, you have users and customers. So if you're building a platform, then um, other business operations that will rely on your, uh, become your customers, uh, right? And the value you generate to them, the uplift you provide to them, uh, that becomes your outcome, right? It doesn't matter how, it does matter. I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel that Good output metrics um, are one of the contributors to uh, outcome metrics. Um, you know, you have to do write code fast. You have to the team has to be efficient to write uh, uh, at good velocity. But that's one of the things. Just inc- just focusing on velocity will get us nowhere. Right?
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and and that's why the term velocity, right? It's not speed. It means um, you're speeding with some direction in mind. Right. And that uh, direction is your outcome, uh, and, and that's why the term velocity gets used. Which sometimes I feel that uh, people lose the uh, focus on. Um, and uh, there, uh, the, one of the things Sachin that I hear often from engineering managers is that outcome is so far away from us, uh, right? Um, and especially it's uh, if, if the product is in early stages. That business is so far away from us. Going live into production and having that kind of usage is so far away for us. Um, it's better for us because, as a manager, I have to commit to something. I cannot commit to conversion rates, right? Uh, because there's marketing involved, they, 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 what product you're selling, what offers you're making, so many things are happening, right? Maybe a GM can still focus on that. So, to those uh, managers, engineering managers, what do we? what is it you want to convey? What what is it you want to say and uh, help them figure out what is it that they should measure themselves by uh, in terms of outcome? I, I know there are certain outcomes which they can commit to, but if someone is saying that business outcomes are too far away, what is it that I can commit to in terms of outcomes? Um, And that's where probably the meta and derived metrics also come into the picture. So any any thoughts for such an engineering manager?
1: Sure. Uh, You asked for three things. One is the velocity uh, thing. Second one is uh, if a system is actually in pre-production, then how do you uh, measure uh, a pre-production system outcomes? And third one was what if your outcomes are heavily dependent upon other functions of your organization? So how would you do it? And these all three are good points to talk. So let's start with velocity. Um, I think the metaphor which you use velocity is uh, to indicate uh, speed plus directionality. And I think that's fantastic. That is exactly what they should measure. But I do want to call out, it should not be confused with the agile velocity, which is basically scrum velocity. The reason being is when you are in agile iterations and then the velocity is used, we should not use that metric to indicate throughput. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it is worth spending a minute on this is it's an extremely uh, engineer's metric, which is team metric. It should not be shared with everybody else. And there are three reasons for that. First reason is that when, system, when teams are actually figuring it out, the velocity of theirs and themselves, it is a relative metric Every team's velocity would be different because their units of complexity could be different. Hmm. So it is not a consistent metric across teams. I Even cannot
0: compare team A's velocity versus team B's because their world and realities are different. What the yes. complexity of code is different within that team. Probably there is a there is a sense in knowing the velocity, but comparing A versus B doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, that brings to the point too within the team itself the velocity keeps changing from iterations to iteration and the reason why it happens is because a you had a capacity loss or capacity increase second could be is that in in the initial days what you thought is a very complex story suddenly doesn't feel like that complex because you have either created foundational pieces or the team is now ramped up heavily into the domain so they don't need to spend too much time about learning. On yeah, the flip things. side,
0: that yes. it seemed very obvious, but it's uh, it hit a lot of complexity.
1: What if you lost few senior resources, junior, coming into the team, uh, then that could be another reason why you might be uh, feeling a little uh, dip or increase in the velocity. So that is the second reason uh, so iteration why uh, iteration to iteration, the velocity keeps changing and so third... it's
0: like uh, velocity is uh, uh, a metric which is useful for nothing actually it it it's just a number floating around it doesn't have much of a and third
1: uh, the third reason is that velocity's expiry uh, basically the uh, time to the life is very short and what do you mean by that is Uh, this metric can be used only to decide how much scope I want to sign up for my following iteration. That's it. So if, if I have delivered 25 points last iteration, then for this iteration, I should probably sign up around 25 or 30 or 22 points, depending upon how much comfort I have. And probably if I'm signing up 25 points, it's worth having at least 35 to 40 points worth of backlog groomed so that I can pick up anytime uh, stories from the backlog. So that if I am uh, able to deliver faster than I thought, then I should be able to pick up some stories which are available in the backlog. So so these are the three, three reasons why I wouldn't go uh, anywhere uh, using velocity uh, to the external world. And uh, oddly enough, we have received some odd requests from some of the uh, customers that they wanted to normalize the velocity across their teams. And there were about 40 teams. And they asked us to come in and see whether they can units, 35 points is our velocity. It will be consistent. And what we told them is, that itself is against the philosophy of why uh, story points and velocity and all these things were even created. So that is number one. The second is uh, second point you had is about reproduction systems. And this one is actually a very nice one because many times when teams are starting out and they are building a new system, they wonder what is my uh, outcome at this point. And they're true. There are no business outcomes to measure at this point, because you are not in production, you cannot influence something in the production. But then what is the uh, promise you are delivering? Are you even uh, like aware of the outcomes which are desired from the system? So I have, a, I have a method to do this. First, I would still recommend teams to undergo this exercise of knowing what is the success outcome of this particular engagement? So if if we are building a uh, airplane booking platform, then what would be the success of our platform? Is it going to be uh, the conversion rate? Is it going to be uh, um, like fastest search results? Is it going to be um, uh, the amount of revenue generated in a year? What is the goal of this particular platform? And based on that, it should, you should think about what I'm going to develop. And that is a very good perspective to have. Rather than thinking, hey, I want to build the greatest platform to book tickets, which is as easy as one, two, three. These are actually good statements to have, but they don't indicate uh, what am I supposed to build, what the user experience will be looking like. So instead of saying as easy as one, two, three, if I say, um, I want to uh, create a user experience which allows me to book a ticket under 10 seconds. Now, uh, you and I can argue 10 seconds is a stupid goal, but then that will force us to do some sort of research. And we will say it is never going to happen. Probably people will need two minutes to book. There you go. Now we have something to think about. But then why it is two, uh, ten, uh, two minutes? Why it can't be 10 seconds? Uh, uh, can we do something? Uh, or is it even needed? Now that will just fuel so much conversation yeah. and we'll figure it out. Similarly, I was working on a product in there and it was a survey uh, form mm-hmm. for uh, if when a doctor actually performs a surgery and they are with a resident, they wanted to evaluate the resident's contribution to the surgery on that day. Mm -hmm. and this doctor was uh, very sure in in mind, I don't know whether they had anecdotal research or empirical evidence but their point was that if it is more than 10 seconds, no doctor will actually submit this form
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and they added a timer so when I build the system I actually put a timer the moment the page is rendered whether it is a mobile or a desktop app. And as soon as they hit submit, the timer stops. Mm. And the difference between these two is recorded in the database. Yeah. Dinkar, I cannot tell you. There are only less than 5% um, uh, forms, which are more than 10 seconds. Wow. Majority actually gets done in 10 seconds. Mm. And The reason, uh, and now you might argue what is so big deal about it, since the uh, thought process was always about 10 seconds, they couldn't make 20 questions in it, Yes. so they put only four questions, and they made that user interface so easy that it is tap, tap, and tap, Tap, so uh, that literally fueled all the UX decisions, Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to be 10 seconds.
0: And then that, and that leads us to the importance of uh, meta or derived metrics, right? Uh, Correct. Because for this metric to have worked, so many things needed to fall in place. So as, as a backend engineer, I couldn't just say that, hey, I, I only care about this, right? Um, as an engineer manager, you're worrying about API response time. You're you know, worrying about the size of JavaScript that gets loaded, or Correct. the design and everything. And now you have to think in and you cannot gain these metrics. And probably that's why these meta metrics um, become very critical. Um, yeah.
1: Yes, and that's exactly, what we should talk about third is, um, so uh, to just recap the point on pre-production systems, I would say, think about outcome metrics, what you want to measure when you go into production, and then start working backwards from there uh, as much as possible to build those measurements in and everything. But now about meta metrics, I think your earlier point was: what if my system uh, outcomes are heavily dependent upon other functions? And you took example of it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be backend and whatnot. Absolutely right. I mean, uh, no matter uh, how your platform, sales platform is performing during holiday season, everybody is going to sell more. Yeah. So uh, the jump in sales in that quarter, you cannot attribute to only technical uh, in advancements you made during that quarter, but it is a culmination of variety of factors. What if there is a recession? People are not going to buy. Mm-hmm. So, or they will buy less, I would say. So there is a, luckily a good framework available and it talks about these uh, metametrics, which you were, are alluding to and, What they say is the philosophy is very simple i'll try to demystify that research paper but uh, uh, we should also link that paper in the um, show notes so the paper talks about you should always start with there are four steps or categories of metrics observable uh, measurable quantifiable and financial and what you should think about is every metric is let's say observable Mm -hmm. start from the lowest point of observable and uh, when you think about uh, observable metric it could be just as simple as uh, let's say we are building a system for recruit recruitment uh, teams in our thoughtworks and uh, today they are probably looking at resumes on some portals or there there are a variety of channels through which they receive right. resume it takes about 10 minutes for them to scan a resume and decide whether they want to pursue this candidate or ignore yeah. Now, this 10 uh, second, uh, 10 minute thing uh, is going to tire them out. Mm-hmm. So and let's say you and I get, uh, get to sit on their table for a week. We are seeing that they are frustrated. Hey, I have 25 more resumes to go through today before lunch and I'm just tired and this. Yeah, and they'll,
0: they'll fall into look for keywords to have. Yeah.
1: Exactly. But the point is, we are able to observe that they are frustrated, tired, bored to read the resume. What if we decided to employ a a system which uh, reads this PDF through some AI or um, machine learning model, and then uh, spits out some sort of keywords, as you mentioned, which are highlighting this. And based on the job description you want, they will say, what is the relevance of this resume to your job position? And it could be the first pass. Yeah. Like most of the systems are doing, but to do this from this observable metrics of people are getting frustrated, you and need to, first of all, do something about measurability of it Yeah, and say, we can talk about, hey, what if I started a timer when this resume is displayed and before they decide, I want to like, pursue or pass or shortlist or ignore. Mm-hmm. And uh, that timer is the time they spent on this resume. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, they got a phone call, they walked away, and all those things. You can uh, filter out these outlier systems, but mm-hmm. you will pretty much good, get a good uh, 95th percentile for this to indicate uh, how much time they are spending. And uh, based on this, Dinkar, when you implement this measurement of time spent to shortlist a resume, That is the way you convert this observable metric into measurable. Right. Measurable metrics are those where it is easy or it is already a measurement you can just add to the system to start measuring something uh, the numerical aspect of it. But then once you start putting measurement in, you start understanding the characteristic of that system. Mm. And now you have a frame of reference to figure out. Let's yeah. say it is taking 15 minutes to shortlist a resume. Mm-hmm. Then you don't need to do research. You can just say, such in 15 minutes is too long. As a product manager, I would like to do it in 30 seconds. Yeah. Now, that is the reference which we can work with. And the reason why you are also doing this is because you are saying, uh, at best, our productivity during the day is about 40% in terms of shortlisting resume, the boring tasks, right? So I will be doing only three or four hours worth of productive work of shortlisting resume. If every resume takes 15 minutes, I can probably shortlist uh, or like process uh, 16 resumes a day. Mm -hmm. But my incoming resumes every day is about 200. Mm -hmm. So this throughput is not going to cut it I will need to employ way more recruiters than I want to budget for. And that would be your driver to figure out. Now you have a measurement, you can create quantification out of it. It's how much improvement you are looking at. So if you say you bring down this 10, 15 minutes to seven and a half minutes, that means 50% improvement. And that will save me, let's say, a ton of hours of Hmm. people. And today you can convert that into financial very easily. Right. This is how you can, uh, first of all, create a journey of a metric from observable, to measurable, to quantifiable, to financial. Yeah. But good news is, now you can just keep building on top of it. Tomorrow, yeah. we can build an AI engine to shortlist resume to, uh, yeah. to find relevance to your job pro posting and you can say, I can bring that down from even seven and a half minutes to five seconds. Yeah. And now you have achieved almost 99% efficiency and that much cost is saved now. So literally you took it from observable to financial. Sometimes you don't even need to go to financial. It's good enough to actually stay in uh, quantifiable where you can make uh, positive or negative projections of certain things. Yeah. So I think any, any type of business outcome or activity, which you are saying, uh, can be measured. And uh, I remember, and I don't want to take it away from you, there were four categories un- under which you envision these metrics would fall when you are building a system. So uh, why don't you talk about those four categories or business outcome areas, uh, which people will relate to?
0: Yeah. So uh, the, the thought process there was that um, every business is unique, uh, their business process is unique and uh, what they're trying to sell, what they're trying to achieve is different. And uh, when uh, we were looking at uh, the right set of metrics to look at uh, for DevOps, we were able to use a 4KM and, and we had certain other metrics in mind for engineering uh, excellence. Um, so this was a spot where we were trying to figure out that uh, can we come up with a set of metrics which uh, can be uh, you know universal and uh, that was very difficult but um, as as i looked at most of the uh, uh, systems that they have and um, if you look at the metrics they have and if you try to abstract them out you'll quickly notice that uh, they actually lead to they kind of belong to four different categories right one is there's an improvement in efficiency and effectiveness, right? So, uh, things that make your system, uh, you know, page load time from, you know, uh, uh, 10 seconds to one second, right? That, that, that's whole uh, one uh, category of it. So, uh, the next one uh, was around improvement in experience, right? Um, NPS is the most popular of them, most basic of them, but they're depending upon what kind of product you're building, what kind of users you have, what experience means to them, you can have something around it. Um, Increase in influence. How can your product tell you that, um, what kind of influence does it have in the market, right? And uh, this is where uh, very few products uh, have uh, spent time thinking about spend time in incorporating these metrics within the product so these can be systematically uh, generated. And the fourth one, the most imp- uh, interesting one, is the future sensing. What kind of metrics can you inbuilt in your product that tell you uh, about what future trends are coming in? Um, the my, my favorite example there is uh, we were working with an organization whose business was to um, help uh, an insurance company decide that um, should provider, A, uh, in case of multiple um, insurance, which provider should it go with? And uh, when we had a discussion with that team, uh, if you look at it, the business model predicated on the uh, possibility, the fact that people have multiple insurance and what if people stop having multiple insurance? Maybe there is a new startup who tells you that instead of having these three, four, insurance you can just have one and this is the best one and then suddenly your whole business model collapses right so in that case if the number of multiple insurances are decreasing over a period of time that's giving you a future sensing right so four categories recapping improvement in efficiency and effectiveness improvement in experience uh, improvement in influence and future sensing right Uh, These are the four major business categories under which you should have some metric, one or two metric. um, So that that gives you the breadth of understanding your business well and creating a line of sight from what you're doing in tech world to how it is relating. There is, uh, and this leads to the, my favorite uh, topic, which is vanity metrics. I mean, they get a lot of beating Uh, like, um, you know, in, tech world, uh, people say that uh, don't uh, look at uh, output metrics, don't look at velocity, these kind of things. In product world, the vanity metrics get a lot of, and some of the examples are uh, app store rating, uh, number of downloads, uh, many pages have these view counters. This page has been viewed these many times, right? Uh, They they don't necessarily mean um, anything other than just some Uh, something that makes the team or a customer feel good. And that's why they call vanity metrics. And uh, a lot of product managers don't focus on it, right? Uh, Maybe sometimes marketing people do a quick campaign so so as to improve the app store rating because uh, two stars doesn't look good. So maybe let's make it four star at least, right? But I always tell my product managers, there's a reason why vanity metrics exist. Uh, these are the kind of metrics to which it people quickly emotionally connect with, right? And while intellectually, uh, while business outcome, they may not carry any meaning, but your team and your users quickly uh, attach to it. So it, it's like you know, while we were discussing about uh, velocity and these kind of output metrics, we were discussing that it's very easy to understand. It's very you know, line of code people get it, as you say, immediately people will get it. They don't need a lot of explaining. Um, it makes sense in certain scenarios, right? Uh, maybe line of code is another example of vanity metrics, but um, totally pooing it uh, may not make sense because um, especially if your product uh, interacts with customers uh, and, and customers, consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, various ways of connecting with people becomes very important. So, if you have a vanity metric, understand what emotional connection does it create between your user and your product. It may be a totally fluffy emotion. You know, emotions are never fluffy, but it may just be an emotional thing, just a matter of pride, just a matter of you know, oh, they won this award, right? There, there is value in that, uh, right? And don't just ignore it, don't poo-poo it. Understand that emotional connection. Um, you know, feed that uh, uh, connection, um, especially if your product has a lot of, you want them to have a lot of evangelists, you want it to have a lot of outspoken, um, you know, supporters. So uh, while uh, we did start with output metrics and they're not very important, uh, outcome metrics is what we should look at. And if they are meta, they bring more value because they lead to holistic growth of the, product towards the business, I would kind of go back and say that those output metrics that have an emotional value, we should still look at because those kind of emotional connects, motivates team, makes people feel good about the work they have done. So don't ignore the emotional need to feel good about your work. Uh, So take care about vanity metrics. So that, that, that's a uh, very... But I,
1: uh, I would um, uh, confess here that I am guilty of looking at these vanity metrics to decide whether I want to get something or not. Yeah. Uh, and the biggest problem I have seen is that app store ratings are different per country. So example would be is in India, I see a lot of apps who have very little rating, which yeah. are extremely popular in US. Yeah, right. Uh, so when that happens is you literally have no way to figure out whether this is a good app or not yeah yeah. but uh, I have researched on internet so I came to know that this is a very good app to do something and I want to go ahead and uh, purchase it and sometimes these app prices are also uh, like 15 dollars then you don't want to just like uh, make a arbit decision and then just say okay take my 15 dollars uh, yeah. and if you want to think about it then those metrics li- help you a little bit to just convert and the same thing goes with amazon i mean rarely i purchased something which does not have star ratings i know that it must be incredibly difficult for a new product to lo- get traction in the market and i have seen that Amazon has very robust mechanisms to uh, decommission this fraud, uh, inflated ratings and everything. And uh, my suspicion is that uh, these ratings uh, are, uh, many of these are frauds, but I mean, what can I do? I mean, sometimes these decisions are 200 rupees decisions. So you just go ahead and take the uh, one which has the highest rating. So uh, these vanity Mm -hmm. metrics have their place yet? these, um, but Vinkar on the flip side, if you think about it, even project managers have been using these flawed metrics as vanity metrics for their bosses to cover their progress flaws. Think about it, these are vanity metrics specifically targeted to make something look good and relatable without raising too many questions.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, whenever I hear that, um, you know, uh, 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 phrases like "let's contextualize the metrics" right uh, to the audience, uh, that, that that's my first uh, indication that um, uh, we, uh, you know the the team understands the stakeholder understands the focus of the stakeholder. Uh, not to the extent of creating a vanity for the stakeholder, but I think it it's in that direction. You understand the stakeholder, you understand their focus, and you pick up metrics that will, you know, uh, appeal to that stakeholder. And uh, and uh, you know, we may uh, we may not talk about it uh, you know, uh, in those words. Uh, but um, these are vanity metrics, a lot of them. Uh, right. And uh, they have their place, and we can't avoid it um, all around humans.
1: Like, see, uh, uh, when you use the word contextualize it for the end users, uh, there is also another term, uh, there is other, another reason to do that. Uh, but I, I know that you were not talking about that contextualization. It is about making these metrics relevant to the people. Right. So, uh, what if I told you that uh, by saving the amount of time, uh, on 15 minutes per resume, uh, what we have done is we have achieved uh, to save 720 hours worth of effort uh, uh, per week. Yeah. Now, this 720 uh, 20 hours doesn't like hit to your head that hard. Yeah. Yeah. But what if I told you this is 30 days yeah. worth of uh, one person effort or since it is only 20, 10, 20 days, 22 days worth of working, I can say this is um, every year. Now I am able to uh, save uh, eight person months in yeah. terms of resume, uh, like uh, resume scanning. These are best ways to communicate and establish that uh, impact, uh, uh, insert the impact on users. And this, um, one of our friends uh, uh, like gifted me this book, um, uh, Sumit, uh, and this is a great book, is um, something about numbers. I forgot the title of the, making numbers, look, uh, making numbers look good or making sense of numbers. Okay. I'll put the link as well, but it's a very good book. And they, they talk about how humans struggle with many, it is yeah. one, two, three, and many, and all that stuff. And I remember you and I were joking about uh, beyond three is all many. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and in that way, and we have many subscribers now, so we don't yeah. need to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, we
0: crossed that threshold a while back.
1: Uh, we make made many episodes and many sub- yeah. got many subscribers today and uh, so. got many views. And got many views. So, uh, but these type of contextualizations are important. Uh, what are meaningless is that hiding behind these metrics.
0: Yes, I you, mean, uh, using these uh, vanity metrics. Uh, so uh, I'll reiterate, right? Uh, the you, the purpose of these vanity metrics is to create an emotional connect with the humans on the other side, right? But uh, to use these vanity metrics to um, you know measure the outcome, uh, the efficiency, the throughput, that that, that that's where you know um, things go uh, wrong, and and that's why I said that um, you know we cannot totally poo poo them. They have their purpose, which is not uh, measurement, but uh, they have the purpose of creating a bridge um, of motivation, of sense of belongingness, all those feelings. Um, they 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 feed those um, uh, important uh, emotions. Uh, yes, you're right. They sh- we shouldn't hide behind them and claim victories based on that.
1: Yeah. And uh, the book was Making Numbers Count by uh, uh, Chip Heath. And okay. Sumit Moghe gifted me that book. It was a very small but very impactful read, I would say. Uh, anybody who wants to play with numbers, display them onto their presentations, it's a very good read. Sure.
0: So this was a great conversation, Sachin. Uh, I think this is a subject uh, we uh, we have been talking about uh, in bits and pieces, uh, but we covered it uh, uh, thoroughly today. So very happy we got a chance to talk about it.
1: And Dinkar, the uh, sometimes also we should talk about. Uh, how come people should communicate these uh, improvements mm. and where they should, what, what is the way to consume these numbers? Right. Because we are obsessed with numbers. We are obsessed with measurements, but we do not know what to do with them. And there is also that policy there, which you were talking about vanity metric. Yeah. But by not understanding the meaning behind these numbers, these numbers could become vanity for you. You yeah. don't know what is, what are they trying to tell you, how to interpret them. And uh, this is very similar to a lot of people with just very rudimentary training. They know that 12.5 is a good hemoglobin level for uh, uh, main women. I don't know. I, I don't know what is the hemoglobin scale, but a lot of people actually... I can get to know because right next to your hemoglobin number, there is, is a reference. scale. This is a reference scale. But it doesn't make you expert of it. Yeah. You don't know what, what does it mean uh, it to near the high uh, end of that reference scale versus towards the low end or bang in the middle. To do that, you need to have a lot of medical training, understanding, and uh, uh, you should be able to contextualize that metric with the rest of the metric which are in your blood work. Mm-hmm. So similarly, all these metrics, which you would like to put on your dashboard, put onto your report, put onto your um, basically uh, uh, you know, quarterly business review meetings, you would like to have some sort of understanding about how to contextualize this and translate that into actions. Otherwise these metrics, even if they are very thoughtful, very scientific, they become vanity metric for you. All you are chasing is that, how can I achieve the green status in this particular quadrant? How can I actually have higher number here? How can I actually have lower number here? Because you converted them into vanity metrics. These metrics by themselves are not vanity metrics. So I I think that's uh, worth uh, uh, some discussion and pondering.
0: This red, amber, green has done more harm uh, than good.
1: Yes. And and whenever a method overlives its utility, um, people start uh, uh, abusing it. And the greatest example in software industry which I have come across is Agile. Mm. The way Agile is abused on a daily basis by millions of developers, I would say, is uh, beyond funny. And I do not claim that I have been uh, like truly doing Agile, uh, but what I have learnt is that there were some violations which I have made on my way, right. and uh, these needs to be. It is like I I I have lied in my life, but I know that lying is bad. Yeah. So and you know that, that you lied. At <laughs> least <laughs> so, you know so, when you did it. Yeah. So being true to yourself and then having awareness that this is a bad thing to do, I I would say that's an acceptable state of agile. Me yeah. around myself. <laughs> uh, but we should uh, think about it a little bit more.
0: Cool. Uh, see you in the next call. Uh, we'll uh, cover these topics.
1: Thank you so much, Dinka. This is a passionate topic for both of us. So, yeah,
0: next time. Take care. Bye
1: bye.